that was a bit disappointing, Ed. After um, after the the City game, which was so kind of triumphant, and then the uh, the enjoyable Europa League distraction, um, sort of back down to earth with a bit of a bump, perhaps unsurprisingly, and a one-all draw with Everton. Frustrating and yet so predictable. And in fact, we talked an awful lot about uh, what this game might be like on the preview show on Friday, and it, it played out like that. I mean. United had 60-odd percent possession. Everton were quite happy to play on the break and you know shift balls into channels quickly. They had that sort of, uh, I get what, 10-minute spell in the first half before they scored where they were pretty good and had a good amount of possession. But for most of the game, they just played in a low block and broke out quickly and United struggled to adapt to that. And United did the thing that uh, they do so much in games like this, which is create hardly any high XG chances and take a lot of shots from outside the box. I mean, and the, the shot map is incredible, really. Apart from Lingard's uh, attempt, if you can call it that, early in the first half, which is really high XG, the rest of them, low, 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 all over the place. And it tells the story of this game once again. Yeah, and if you're one of those people that the, the letters XG make your brain fry and you don't like them... It's really just a direct translation in this case in particular to high quality chances versus low quality chances. So yeah. a lot of low quality chances and half chances in this game for United. Lots and lots of shots taken, which is a good thing. Those those are both good things in and of themselves, but you want to be creating some good quality chances too. Yeah, yeah. And and it's not binary. So um, you want to create lots of chances to shoot. The more you shoot, the more chance you have to score. It's just a fact, right? So there's actually, uh, just as an aside, there's a good... Uh, sort of table of uh, data comparing Ronaldo and Rashford at the same age. And Rashford's, you know, very close uh, on par with Ronaldo in terms of goals and assists and stuff like that. And the the interesting, the two really interesting statistics are at the same age, Ronaldo taking almost double the amount of shots. Rashford's chance conversion is almost double. Well, those two go together, don't they? they two, the two goes, the, the, of course the two go together. Um, and a simplistic way of, of analysing Rashford, and I'll get back to the Everton game in a second, um, is the thing that I'm afraid all the stats nerds said a couple of years ago, which annoyed everyone, which is he just needs to shoot more. Um, anyway, Everton, uh, coming coming back to United's um, problem against Everton, United do shoot a lot, uh, or did in this game. That's okay, but didn't create good chances, and, and that's why we haven't won the game, and that's why we don't win a lot of these games against uh, teams that don't really want to come out and play. Well, it was a very interesting start to the game. Sneaky, sneaky, sneaky Duncan Ferguson doing a big sneak, telling everyone, including all the people behind the scenes, because there's this thing behind the scenes where there is a sort of code um, where managers will tell the broadcasters the shape that they're intending to play so that the broadcasters aren't made to look silly when uh, the displays are put up on the screen. But in spite of telling Gary Neville in the tunnel beforehand that he was planning to play a 3 5 2, um, that he was planning to play a 4 4 2, he set them up in 3 5 2, lined up for the free kick in 3 5 2, and then uh, Mason Holgate stepped forward into midfield where he played the whole game and they played 4 4 2 the whole game. I've never seen that happen before, and I must tell you, I quite liked it. I, qu- I quite like it. Does- I couldn't work out the point. Yeah, though. no. What was the look- point? Just funny. <laughs> If, like, he's not going to be a manager for long. So he's like, do you know what? At very least, let's have a laugh, innit? Let's have a bit of a laugh. It's been a hard week. Let's just all have something... 
to chuckle about. I guess about. so, yeah. And a fun, funny thing about Everton is they just weren't very good. I mean, uh, they Ferguson afterwards was delighted, obviously, punching the air, said he was kind of disappointed they didn't win the game, which, of course, you would be with United scoring fairly late in the game. Um, and uh, I, I guess I, I understand the sort of emotional response there. But Everton created hardly anything. I mean, they had two shots inside the box and the rest of them were pot shots, you know. And And all of the rest of it was just kind of, positions and uh, you know sort of in the final third and sort of half positions in which they might have put a ball in or something like that yeah and this is this is where the xg one of the main many ways in which the xg model of understanding a game in retrospect is completely flawed because um they were unlucky not to do more with the position and situations they had. That's that's for sure. Or, or you know, if not unlucky, I think actually, or they didn't have the, or they didn't have the final, the good final ball, or United defended those balls well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all of those things happened. They had a all, lot of free kicks. All of those things happened. One of which was United got really lucky and the ball bobbled right. And anyway, I wanted to talk about some specifics because you mentioned Everton sitting in a low block. And the weird thing about this game was, for the first fifteen minutes, they didn't sit in a low block. They were actually pushing really high up, and twice. We got the ball in behind, um, long balls into the channels from us were extremely effective. Rashford on the left couldn't quite get his foot around the ball to curl it round. And then James on the right, who uh, that one, I don't know why Pickford didn't come for it. Maybe he was just scared of losing a foot race with Dan James, or maybe he was like on the back foot when the moment begun. So he was worried about shifting his weight forward and trying to run for it. But then ultimately James uh, tried to find the far corner and just sort of skewed it like wide on the opposite side for him. We should talk about that Lingard chance right at the beginning. Um, I kind of was really hoping for something quite special from Lingard today. It's been a, clearly he's had a very difficult time. Maybe we'll talk about that. He put in a fantastic block from Dan James's shot late in the game. (laughs) Game saving block there with his face. Uh, He did, but clearly he's had a, a very, very difficult time in his personal life um, this season. And, and you know, we talked a lot about his form and honestly, that really makes sense of the level of poor form that certainly the beginning of the season he was displaying. And, you know, he talked about having kind of kept a lot of it to himself and finally talked to Solskjaer about it. So um, before the City game um, and, you know, footballers are humans yet another reminder that footballers are human beings and things other than football affect them Fred did really well for the the build-up to that Lingard chance like kind of bursty run into the box and through the box was more or less the last good thing Fred did all game sadly yeah a, a definite downturn in Fred's form in this particular game, he wasn't able to impose himself on the game. Um, I mean, I think his first touch was to give the ball away. Was it Lingard that gave the gave him a hot pass and then Fred miscontrol it to uh, give away the ball within about the thir- first 30 seconds of the game? And um, I, that kind of, it was the pattern for those two for, for the rest of the match. Uh, which was a shame, which we've seen before, which feels like a blo- broken record and, you know, perhaps, you know, rank cast, 371 we could just upload and it would be sort of similar or something like that everyone but would Rencast, uh, yeah Rencast the wrong got the wrong i see i can't get it out of my head <laughs> Every, you know, everyone so. would be really confused about the name of the podcast if we did that um uh listen it might be a broken red record to criticize fred someone that we've probably been uh much less critical of and and perhaps a little too quick to praise um us and the rest of the world 
Scott McTominay with a world-class stinker today. Gave the ball away time after time in really important situations. Number of times possession turned over. Not He was not United's worst culprit for this. We'll come on to him when we talk about the goal in more detail. Um, but yeah, a really, really bad game. And, and a couple of times he fired in through balls at kind of breakneck pace and stuff. A really a, a tricky game for McTominay, I thought. Yeah, he gave the ball away a lot. So he's, he's at 75%. Uh, pass completion today which is poor for him and he is I mean when we when he first came into the team I thought he was a bit within himself and he's being a bit safe with his passing and um, he's become bolder with it over time which I think he, he really needs to do to become a, a sort of all-round midfielder um, I saw some uh, data this week and perhaps it's an unfair comparison uh, but um, uh, Sergio Busquets completes more than 90% of his long passes I mean, 90% of his long passes, it's just incredible. Anyway, uh, it's an unfair benchmark, of course, but if McTominay wants to become a fully rounded Premier League midfielder, his passing is probably the weakest part of his game because he's, you know, he's got great positional sense, he does defend well, he's he's got good energy, he's a leader, clearly. Um, so there's all the sort of component parts and the passing is the thing that lets him down. It's been letting him down much, much, much less this season. But today was a bad one. Yeah, I mean, his past numbers are always bad. Like, it, it, they're always... Eight, eight, if he hits 80, he's buzzing. But it, this time it was the the nature of the passes that he gave away. I mean, I, I noted three uh, in particular, two of which I think were picked up by D- Davis. One uh, late on led to yet another Aaron Bawan-Bissaka wonder tackle on Richarlison in the box. Like, just standard, hashtag standard. It's it was, just standard, it was, yeah. It was so, Everyone's like, oh, is it going to be a penalty? No, it's Wan-Bissaka. It's so funny, though, because, like, uh, Wan-Bissaka had the most Wan-Bissaka five minutes ever late on in that game, wherein he put a wonder tackle in on Richarlison, three minutes later put in one of the worst crosses you'll ever see, then put in another wonder tackle on Richarlison in the box. Like, the, it, it's very, Great. very, very clear what he's good at and what he's not good at isn't it yes um and then um coming back to midfield just for a second uh we talked about jesse lingard and just some of his numbers today uh 23 out of 27 passes completed just 12 completed passes in the attacker third and this is a game in which united had 60 percent of the possession you know and i have to say that it's just a it's just a massive massive problem for united in games like this when the number 10 the guy who's in between midfield and attack, he's breaking the lines. Is supposed to be causing a tactical problem for the opposition. It's like can't get the ball, and then when he does get the ball, can't do anything effective with it. It's a big problem. Absolutely, uh, front three were less effective in this game. All three of them having uh, pretty relative. Mm. James was very busy and and did set up Greenwood for the goal. Sort of Greenwood does his own thing, really. But listen, let's talk about the 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 Everton goal. So I had I was in the middle of writing, you know, we talked about I've been starting to write notes. And I, I I was writing this sentence. Luke Shaw's awareness of how much time or otherwise he's got in the box just doesn't seem to be very good. There's a free kick where it's looped over everyone and finds its way to him with no one further behind him. And he goes for a headed clearance, but the only people it could ever fall to are the Everton midfielders following up the second ball. Now, that was not what then happened, which is within a minute of that, he scrambles a terrible clearance after the box, after McTominay had, had a, a ball intercepted. Um, but that scrambled clearance by Luke Shaw was what led to the corner. And it was so poor. Like, 
Apps. I mean, everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. shocking. Let, let's count the mistakes here. No one attacks the ball at the near post from United, and that could have helped. De Gea is just incredibly weak. I mean, we can we can talk about the foul, no foul in a second, but just incredibly weak. And Lindelof, I mean, he's just not switched on. He, you could say, oh, he's unsighted, but he, he's just. What is he doing? He's facing his own goal. And not in for a ball that's coming into the box, and not involved in the defensive work in any way of trying to no. stop the ball going into the net. So obviously, like it's not. I think there's three errors from United there, and that's and that by now. the way, that's three errors after the corner, which was a cacophony of errors that led up to a corner being given away. The McTominay uh, pass that went out to Davis, and then the sure clearance that went back to yeah. Davis. So, so, so Lindel- Lindelof's pro- problem is but partly his zonal mark, United zonal market corners, which is fine, right? You know, it's, it's actually one of the reasons why so many corners hit the front man because that's what he has to do. He's in his zone, protecting that zone. So, someone, no one did that, and then Lindelof. I just don't understand his positioning. It doesn't make any sense. If he's supposed to be goal side of a potential attacker, there isn't one near him. And what's he doing looking the wrong way? And he's just not anticipating a ball coming in or anything. It's awful. It's awful. And then De Gea, I mean, he is fouled. I'm, you know, that's going to be called a foul 90% of the time, I think. It's odd that on VAR, I was pretty sure, saw that, saw, you know, you see the first replay and you go, okay. Well, that's going to be given as a foul because that's given as a foul as if an attacker does that on a defender and goalkeepers get special treatment, you know. So um, I'm surprised it wasn't given as a foul. Even so, it, it's not the thing that stops De Gea getting a hand on that. It's just it's just weak. He's so weak there. I, I mean, so the flight of the ball is, is weird and De Gea is entirely unprotected by his defence. Like, his defence do absolutely nothing to stop those men running onto the ball. There's no defenders challenging for the ball at all. So De Gea goes to somewhat, like, um, he almost underestimates how much he's got to put into, because he's not physically weak. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, if he'd put more into his jump, it would have had a bit more to it. But he doesn't put much into the jump because I don't... No, he's not decisive. Yeah, know, no, I the, agree. In... And it, it's almost like he doesn't know he needs to put as much into it. As he might he... be a bit weak as well. I reckon I could outbench press him. <laughs> um, yeah, I... All right, Dave, it's a challenge to you. <laughs> um, but the thing is, it, so the jump isn't great, but it, it looks like it's going to be enough until the player's got his arm over his shoulder. And like In slow motion in particular, I I. Yeah. I, I which is what VAR is getting. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It is really odd. I look, um, I, and there's a debate about that in the Sky Sports Studio. They basically said that's a foul. I think every single manager on the planet would be deeply unhappy if that goal is given against them. Every single one. And this is this is the thing that I know. Honestly, what is the what is the point of having a conversation about? the Premier League's implementation of blooming VAR once again. But, like, the sheer boggling cognitive, mind-boggling cognitive dissonance between the obsessive, um, what uh, Zona Markey, Michael Cox, called, like, somebody doing, like, uh, getting out a... a a set of technical drawing rulers and um, what they called those things that go like that. I can't remember set squares, you know, and drawing lines on the pitch, the, this kind of obsessive minutiae. And then like when, when 
a clear foul is committed on the goalkeeper in the build-up to a goal, which oh, all right. which directly leads to the goal. I mean, maybe maybe the VIRF's just looking at that, going, nah, nah, De Gea's too weak there, doesn't deserve any protection. Normal from contact, referees. but I, look, you know what? I'm, I didn't have time to do it, but if I go back to our Y Scout account, I think we can just go tag fouls on goalkeepers and go and pull out all the videos of it. Yeah. Um, and and you're going to go see dozens and dozens of those kind of actions, you know, probably triple figures of, of fouls being called on goalkeepers this season for that. And the idea that, you know, okay, the bar's supposed to be clear and obvious, blah, 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 blah. Well, like, I was sat there, I was watching it with the sound off and just looking at it like, oh, okay, well, cool, we've got away with that one a little bit. And then when when the kind of action restarted and it still said 1-0 on the screen, like, what? Like, we, we have in fact not got away with it. So anyway, but yeah, my main scapegoat for that goal was Luke Shaw in the clearance. Um, uh, there may be some personal bias there in the choice of scapegoats and their direct contribution to that goal. But in my opinion, he had a pretty shocking game in general. Yes, as did two of... The back five and and De Gea's like and, and you know I anyway we don't need to relitigate it but um, uh, there's no way a couple of Everton players are fouling Peter Schmeichel. Let me tell you, he's going to wipe those two f- out. Well, last week you said even Peter Schmeichel's not coming for that one against City, but this week you know this, this one's in the box. Is it the six yard box? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, all right. So then in the second half, um, nothing much happens. Fred has a terrible shot. Luke Shaw has a good shot, which came out to James uh, from a Pickford save. And then that's when he blasted it into Jesse Lingard's face. And uh, I don't think it was going in, if you look at the trajectory. So he just... No, no, he's cut across the ball. I think that's flying wide and high. Yeah, And then... Uh, Mason Greenwood comes on and we switch to a 4-4-2 and it turns out it's not just the 19, not just politics where 1980s are back, but football too. As two lots of 4-4-2 go clanging at each other and we add 20 minutes of a proper football match where two 4-4-2s are just running at each other. Nostalgia is... When bro- when football was good. Re- remember in the early 90s when uh, or mid-90s when Ferguson switched to sort of 4-5-1 and Cantona was up front on his own sometimes in the Old Trafford crowd which out for was that when that wasn't when Cantona was up front on his own that was when Rude Van Nistelrooy was on his own uh, against when we were losing 1-0 to Lille and all that malarkey wasn't it was it I don't know I'm sure I heard that chant (laughs) maybe so I'm sure maybe so anyway uh, (laughs) yes it was great look and and another piece of evidence of just how good Mason Greenwood I mean how good is that finish just switches from right to left and bang into the corner I mean it's like it's a bit like his finish the other night against uh, AZ, just further out and more difficult. Yeah, against a better team and a better goalkeeper, or well, in theory, anyway. Um, I think it just shoot from anywhere, and he just hits it so cleanly. The nice thing is, as, as well, like the build-up, it's his absolutely lovely diag from the right flank to the left flank that creates the space, switches the kind of... It's very sort of, you know, like 4-4-2-101, isn't it? You take the ball from the right wing, quickly switch it to the left. Dan James cuts inside and finds Greenwood on the edge of the area. Greenwood's like, you know, as soon as... The nice thing is he, he switches the ball, then he makes a beeline for the edge of the box, but he sees that his best option is actually to hover on the edge of the box rather than to keep going in and he just has half a yard of space the first touch to get it out of his feet is absolutely beautiful and once again uses a, a defender to screen the near post um and hits a basically unsavable shot into the bottom corner 
Just great. Dan James gets the credit for the assist there. But, I mean, simple pass, one of those ones. <laughs> he really should get a... Uh, it should be pro rata, shouldn't it? Yeah, Mason should get more than one goal and he should get less than an assist. Uh, but, um, and then the weird thing happened almost instant, instantly after that, or, you know, I made 10 minutes after that. And James, who's having a sort of average game, but a willing runner, is yeah. hooked off uh, one matter with a few minutes to go. I didn't... Explain that one to me. I didn't get I it. I mean, the only thing that you can think is that Mata does, well, has historically scored goals and his movement in the box tends to be quite good. And he doesn't, and he does tend to kind of find a way to do something in those kind of situations, but not with five minutes. Because, you know, it's interesting. I'd watched this clip of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer um, talking about coming on as a sub and, he, and, and saying that, you know, you kind of need a minimum of 20 minutes to really make an impact. So unless he was protecting James from some sort of knock or niggle, I, I don't understand why he would do it because James did not have a brilliant game, but did look likely, much like Rashford, actually. Rashford's execution was quite bad, but his uh, intent was quite good, I thought, generally. Mm. And I actually, I thought we were going to win it when he made that run really late on and the the place went kind of electric. And then he actually he found Matter in the box and Matt sort of passed it back behind yeah. him. I mean, part of the problem, of course, is that Ali just doesn't have too many options on the bench. So uh, three defenders and a goalkeeper amongst the seven on the bench and there's there's Mason and uh, Pereira and someone else I can't remember Who, whoever else came on uh, today and Pereira was getting ready for Watford next weekend <laughs> yeah on his Insta odd <laughs> odd yeah. I blame that on the social media yeah, manager right? absolutely the thing that was weird like he, he you know footballers sometimes do a little edit of the game that's coming up that day and they just the, his social media team posted the Watford one the, the odd thing isn't that it happens. The odd thing is that no one catches it and takes it down. And I guess it's a Sunday and they just scheduled the tweet and we're like, yeah, we'll have Sunday off. Uh, you know, we can uh, we can all, I'm sure, relate to that. It, it, it happens. Um, <laughs> I listen to a politics podcast quite a lot. Uh, you know, we occasionally talk about politics on this uh, podcast. So I think we we're refraining for a little while. Uh, anyway. So I'm listening to a US politics podcast and, you know, I like taking a world view and all of that. And they did a rundown of sort of best political ads of the decade. And uh, there was one in which a uh, congresswoman starts her political ad. I am not a witch. (laughs) (laughs) Go go look it up. Anyway, it's just hilarious. And you're thinking, how the hell? I mean, because to post an ad, this is like 10 years ago, right? But to post an ad, it needs a whole team of people to script it, to film it, to, to do the edits, to upload it, to do the post-production. None of them thought that this is a bit odd. <laughs> anyway, I like, I like um, the idea. that's that... what that felt like to me. You're like, someone's like, there's more than one person doing that. Someone's got to create it. Someone's got to check the fixtures. Someone's got to sign it off with Andreas, maybe. Someone's got to get uploaded. Someone's got to hit post. Someone's got to add the tags, you know, at no stage during that process did anyone go, hmm. I don't know. No, I, I think getting an advert to air which starts with I'm a witch probably has a lot more because like yeah someone's got to do all those things but all they have to do is get one date wrong and then be sure that that's the date like we've made so enough mistakes on this show to know that the the mistakes part is fine it's they're kind of not catching it in fact like for example earlier when you posted on Instagram that Duncan Ferguson had scored against United in 2004 2004 for example but we caught that and corrected it so that's that's how it goes Um, Talking of Instagram, 
extremely high quality work ed you've gone full millennial influencer and you went with you went with a beautiful mosaic nqat pod on instagram if you're not following us you can you can yes i I would like to think that that was my brilliant idea but it was my uh, 15 year old daughter (laughs) who's like hey you could do this i was like oh that's pretty cool i've got an idea (laughs) (laughs) excellent i like that um you can tell because we run the instagram account together like on twitter we've got two separate accounts yours probably should yours is the, the like the name of the podcast and uh we should probably maybe we'll need to find we'll maybe have a conversation about differentiating between the name of the podcast and your personal twitter account for various reasons um but on twitter we're two separate people doing two different things but we share the instagram account and you can just tell if it looks like work's gone into it ed did it <laughs> like that's 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 the rule that's how you tell all right uh, have you got anything else? Got anything else to say about this game? No. I, Is it Ollie out now? Are we back to Ollie no, out? No, absolutely not. And and actually, you know, he did change to four four two, make a difference to the game. I mean, that last substitution was weird, but uh, you know, I, I think this is this is not Ollie out. This is for goodness sake, um, some actual an actual number ten in, or Paul Pogba comes back and and does what we need him to there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the frustration is that after a year on the job, it's going to be his anniversary coming up this week uh, of uh, getting the job on a temporary basis. After a year, we have not found a solution to this problem. And and the very obvious solution is Pogba is fit and he's back training and he goes in number 10. And there shouldn't be any debate. He's got to, he, that's where he's got to play now. Um, especially with Fred generally improving and McTominay being a shoo-in, you know. So this is the obvious one and, and the, it will help United break down some of these teams. But even when he's in the side, we still seem to struggle in games like this. We there needs to be transitions for us to create good quality chances, and and something better has got to is something better has got to happen. You know, and I, I guess the ideal option would be we bring in a creative player in the January window, but Solskjaer seems to have ruled out any spending. He's now talking about loans. We shall uh, we shall no doubt talk about the January window some more, and um, perhaps a bit later in the show. So for now, I think we'll take a little break and come back with your questions. Enjoy no question about that. If so, let others know about us. The best way to do that is leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. Yeah, that's one of the most stupid questions I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> test my patience. So, Ed, one of the um, one of the other alternatives, of course, to us finding a way to uh, to make United great again, um, would uh, just be to play Arsenal every week. They're uh, they're currently two 0 down to Manchester City, and uh, if you honestly, I think if you want to feel good about yourselves as a team that's slightly struggling to create high quality chances, playing against Arsenal would be a really good way to do it. Yeah, or Chelsea right now. It's a frustration with dropping more points. I mean, Chelsea and Arsenal both really struggling. Spurs won today. Um, the the top six was beginning to look a bit like the top six again. Yeah, I, for a while. I there. have to say, when I heard people saying um, yesterday, if we win tomorrow, we'll go within two points of Chelsea. It was like, I think, I think that might be a little bit irrelevant, given that we are going to drop so so many points for the rest of the season. What have our uh, what have our friends on the internet got to say for themselves then? First of all, uh, bifurcated underscore MBM continuing their protest against you not picking their questions enough have just simply refused to answer one asked one this week. 
outrageous. Um, Andy Yaks, friend of the show, says, worst reactor over negative incidents, worst, worst overreactor to negative incidents, Kim Jong-un, Henry VIII, Neymar, or Man United fans on Twitter? I mean, to be fair, Kim Jong-un has been fairly reasonable. He hasn't actually nuked anyone yet. You know, despite some provocation, so... Henry VIII did chop off a few heads. I mean, just lopped it. Just, like, you know, who hasn't wanted to do that when they're a bit annoyed? Neymar, big, big crybaby. United fans on Twitter, if they had that big red button that said Newt, we'd all be gone as... Oh, yeah, but we'd have all been gone in 2011. <laughs> you know, like, this is this is not Newt, but it definitely, I mean, it has definitely got worse. Like, it's it's just like... I mean, not to draw any analogies, right? But it's like there are factions waiting in the wings for something to go wrong to get really, really, really vocal at this first sign of something actually going wrong. Um, uh, Barry Jones, friend of the show, said Fred was decent again. I think that was that was generous. Um, Greg Seward asking whether De Gea was fouled. Um, and absolutely yes. Um, and... Anton Alfie bringing in some old school flavour with a what's Phil Jones's best position question. And it is the end of the decade and we're doing a lot of end of decade lists. And what's Phil Jones's best position has definitely been the rank cast question of the decade. <laughs> That's right. Um, the one he's currently possessing, uh, which is uh, in the stands. Zul Hardy bin Mohammed says, can we stop talking about Haaland? We've got an abundance of talent in the forward, in the forward department. We need a freaking number 10. Uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer reportedly having um, talks with uh, Haaland's people this week. Um, a lot of uh, weird conversation about uh, this place. 19-year-old, scoring bags of goals in the Austrian First Division. Uh, got goals in the Champions League as well. Plays for Red Bull Salzburg and apparently has a... Thirty million pound or thirty million euro release clause, which means he can go to Red Bull Leipzig. Changing between all the Red Bulls there, um, uh, which is a super cheap uh, fee for this kind of player. Uh, that might be wider than that. Apparently, that there there may be a, a clause that allows him to go for even cheaper, which may be which may be one of the reasons why all these big clubs are circling now, because despite his goals. He's scoring them in the Austrian league, and it's not obvious that um, he's going to be able to translate that. I thought he was... I mean, I saw some of the game against Liverpool, and I didn't think he did much there. Willing runner. Um, but obviously obviously they're a much poorer side than Liverpool, so it was hard for him to to, to really make an impression on the game. Yeah, he was better in the game week before that. I can't remember yeah. who they played. And then the second thing to say there, like, you, you may think Rashford Martial... James are awesome, but there's not a lot of numbers there. No, and, you know, if we're going to play a front three and we're talking about having five potential players for three front positions, that's not crazy. The, the point that we need a number 10 is absolutely correct. We definitely do need a number 10, but we also... And, you know, the other thing, of course, is that you, you sign Haaland and you can, you can shuffle the pack a bit. The only thing is, I guess, he's not going to play anywhere other than number nine, is he? The, the one thing that I wouldn't want is anyone to get in the way of Mason Greenwood's development, and and not that this is very true. Yeah, yeah, not that him coming necessarily would, but I I I would like to see a situation where Mason Greenwood is very close to like starting lots and lots and lots of games. Although, um, 
Yeah. I don't have... I mean, if it was an either or, if it was a binary discussion, I, I'd have a spend 100 million on a number 10 rather than a number nine and take the risk that Rashford, Martial, Greenwood between them can score enough goals. Um, so we, we kind of talked about United fans overreacting and um, this might slightly fall into that category in tone, but I do think it's a very reasonable point, even if it, it has an angry face emoji at the end to demonstrate the vibe in which it was sent. Um, at Miles A. Bailey saying, how can MUFC competently and comfortably defend against Spurs and City for an hour, but look panicked at the first sign of pressure against Sheffield United, Villa and Everton at Al, what's mentally misfiring about this glorified cup team of game raisers? And I don't think that that is a particularly unfair criticism. I think there is, I mean, I know I say this all the time, but this is the, the question that I asked Jose Mourinho in, this, in the last press conference I was ever in. What What is up with this team who, when they are, when things are going for them, when they're playing well, genuinely look excellent but they can look so calamitous so quickly and yeah mentally misfiring is right because this is this i'm like lindelof we know lindelof has mistakes in him but they don't have to be this bad and and it's much worse against teams that united think they're supposed to beat it's 100% in the head because they're concentrating against city and spurs because they know it's a bigger game against better players yeah they're, they're switching off and i think that's that's pretty poor it is pretty poor, and and you know you're right. Everton did cause United some trouble. I did talk earlier about the very low quality number of chances that the low quality, low number, and low quality number of chances that Everton actually created in the end. There's a lot of factors that go into that, of course. Um, but yeah, it does feel that yeah, it does feel like in those games that he mentions that United did struggle defensively, and I, I do think that's focus. Um, at one of my favourite Twitter names um, says is Duncan Ferguson's pneumonia going to be covered by his health policy as caretaker boss honestly Big Dunk taking his jacket off like first of all only wearing a suit jacket on the 15th of December in the rain in Manchester what is wrong with you like we know you're hard Duncan Ferguson you don't need to strip down to your soaking wet crisp white shirt this was like he looks like Vladimir Putin anyway and he was really making a play for the Vladimir Putin riding on a bear meme I think yes um kind of funny uh, post match uh post-match interview he's obviously he's obviously a character uh, doesn't look like he's going to get the job but you know two very good results in his first two games says he doesn't want the job um Ibra Kadabra says what's the deal with Duncan Ferguson's Everton sweatband on his wrist he's, he's just he loves the club loves and he it. needs something to dry his face because he's completely unprotected from the elements um <laughs> uh at HM underscore UTD. So this is an interesting question, which I, I don't agree with the premise of the question. Uh, does the high frequency of shots from unrealistic angles and deep distances by players that are poor at shooting drive you insane? And I actually think that the, the bit that I kind of disagree with here is just that that a lot of players that are poor at shooting do this a lot. Like, I guess you could say Fred um, shoots too much for his apparent shot quality. But like Rashford, for example, takes a lot of shots from bad bad shot positions I would say but he's certainly not bad at shooting is he um and and no I mean he had a a very good free kick today produced a good save I I don't think he was necessarily had his uh had his best sort of form for shooting today um 
But look, yes, I, I, I don't think... I mean, you have to have some players who are able to shoot from distance. Uh, we do have a tendency, as discussed, to take a lot of shots from distance, not creating higher quality chances, and it's just got to be a, a blend of all of them. Unless you've got 11 Ronaldos in the team and they're going to spank them in from 40 yards all the time. I think these players all need to stop playing FIFA. That's my take on it. Because there's something that happens when you play, like, Pez or FIFA, where when the ball kind of comes out, like... When there's a sort of momentum-y, build-up-y thing and the ball comes out to the edge of the area and you've got half a yard of space, there's something in the, every fibre of your being that's just like, oh, aesthetically, a shot into the top corner here would really wrap this night, wrap this up nicely. But um, normally it doesn't go well for me in Pez or FIFA um, and normally it doesn't go well in, for United in real life either. All right. Well, perhaps that's it for listener questions this week. Um, I, I, a fair amount of frustration um, uh, in amongst the Twitterati of the world. I suppose now that we're doing Instagram, uh, Instagram forward slash NQAT pod, if you haven't subscribed, um, we should uh, allow the peeps to uh, ask questions on there too. So we'll probably do that. Oh, that's, that's, that's some serious admin we're signing up to here. We had a question on Instagram and it was a really good question, but I can't remember what it was or who it was from. So that's what, you're, that's what you've subjected the next, people next to. Week, next week, next we'll, week, uh, we'll do it. You know, we're growing so fast here, Paul, we're going to have to hire a social media manager. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, um... Andreas's uh, social media manager is probably going cheap. I, I would have thought so. We could get whoever it was that put Phil Jones's logo on the uh, Busby Babe Memorial. One of that's... oh man, they all have to have logos. You see, Marcus Rashford's got a logo. It looks like a drain pipe. Oh, there you go. Um, all right, we'll be back after the break to talk about Colchester. Enjoy no question about that. If so, let others know about us. The best way to do that is leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and hit that subscribe button. Right. And we should probably... Colchester. Yeah, we probably shouldn't have had a break before we talked about Colchester. Probably should have just rattled for it. But hey, this is the world we live in now. Um, Colchester are managed... I've, I've, done, I've done the kind of research... Pre-game research is a, a strong word, but th- these are the sort of small things that I would say about them. They're managed by John McGreal, who is a scouser, played for Tranmere during his career, Ooh. so boo, etc. And the reason that they're in this, uh, they beat Crawley Town in the in the last round of the League Cup, but in the round before that, they um, they beat Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park on penalties. And I looked up the Palace side, and like Wilf Sahar started that game, so it was not a completely uh, devoid of quality. Side, So they're, they're clearly capable of getting a battling draw with a Premier League team who are used to hitting teams on the break, who struggle to break down teams when they're set into their shape. They um, they played 4-4-2 in that game. But at the beginning of the season, McGrill talked about... Uh, so their two most important players from an attacking sense are their top scorer, Luke Norris, and their top assist maker, Frank Newble. Um, and uh, Frank... Well, this is what McGreal had to say about him at the beginning of the season. We want Frank up there as a number nine at times, but we've got Noz scoring goals. Uh, we've gone 4-4-2 at times, but it doesn't overly work. <laughs> I really like that as an analysis. It doesn't overly work. Um, we've also tried 3-5-2 to get the two boys up there, but when you get noobs out on the left or right, he causes all sorts of problems. And I think that's what's probably going to happen. I, I, I suspect they'll play uh, Nooble on the left um, and play Norris on his own up top. Don't don't have the best record against uh, lower league teams at Old Trafford this season, do we? Uh, no, we don't. We, we 
we scraped past Rochdale on a penalty shootout, right? That's that's what happened there. Um, Top quality. Uh, one thing I'd say about um, uh, about Colchester, it's got some fantastic names in this squad. Don't know any of the players, got to say, but Brendan Sarpong Wiradu, nice, like that one. Junior Ogedi Uzoweki, Uzoki, great name. And uh, and the best one, I think, Paris Cowan Hall, which sounds like a landmark. <laughs> yeah, it does. It really, really properly does. So they, they were 2-0 down at half-time against Scunthorpe yesterday and, and fought back to for two all draws. So clearly got some, some scrappy qualities. But they are ninth in League Two. And honestly, I guess the... the, the the, the question to then discuss, having given you me uh, me profound, ha- hastily researched journalistic insight into Colchester United, the U's is their nickname. <laughs> no team called United should be called the U's. Um, they uh, they um, what's what what is Solskjaer going to do? Are, are we going to see a very very young team? I'm sure Greenwood yeah. will start in this game. Yeah, I, I think we do see pretty young team. I mean, it's. I'm sure he's going to think uh, it's worth the risk doing that. He talked a lot in a press conference uh, on Friday about how that um, break that he gave to the first 11 in not going to Astana had such a big impact on the games against Tottenham and City. So I'm sure we're going to get a lot of changes, you know, 8, 9, 10, maybe the full 11. And it's worth taking the risk, isn't it? Because United, with an under-23 side really should beat this lot anyway. I mean, I'd say that's a very... That that hasn't necessarily proven to be the case in almost any... Like, we lost in Astana, obviously, and I bet you if we were to have Omar Chowdhury back on the show and he compared the Kazakhstan top flight to League Two in terms of average level of quality, I'm not sure where Astana and Colchester would stack up against each other. Um, I think if he, if he goes... The, the, the thing that will probably happen is a team that's that's not at all dissimilar to the one that we saw against Partizan rather than the one... No, not Partizan, sorry, AZ Alkmaar rather than the one we saw against Astana. So not a full set of under-23s, but a kind of Matichy, Mattery kind of mulch. Yeah. I mean, United had mixed results in the, um, the Football League trophy where it's... Um... Isn't it an under-21 side or an under-23 side gets to play? Yeah. Um, uh, you know, beat some decent sides there um, and um, lost to some decent sides as well, Thank, I Thanks, suppose. Ed. <laughs> so who did yeah, yeah, we... Yeah. High-quality analysis. Who did we beat and who did we lose to? Lose to Tramere, beat Doncaster. I think we beat Rotherham as well. Uh, beat Lincoln. Right. That's it. Right, so... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't basically I don't think it's gonna be an under twenty three side. I think it's gonna be almost exactly the eleven that started against um AZ last week. That that would be my guess. Be- Mason's gotta start yeah. for sure. I'd like to see Chong get some time. I mean, why not? He's been doing well at under twenty three level. I think he just he's taking a bit of time to Make that I thought he was up. good against Dalkmar, as I said on the show. Yeah, Brandon Williams got to play, super deserves it. Turns AB back, uh, needs minutes, um, he's got to play. So we definitely can get quite a few young players. Yeah, so all those players played against Dalkmar, didn't they? I mean, Chong didn't start, but he came on fairly early. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I would like to not see Matic and Mata in that game. 
but I'm I'm definitely expecting to well, see. I mean, what is the point? What is the point? I mean, I'd like to see Ethan Laird again get a game because when Bazaka doesn't need to play every game. Well, it, I don't know whether I mean Angel Gomez, of course. Um, Ramazani scores scoring loads of goals at under twenty three level. He deserves to be in the squad. I'd say. Yeah, so one of the players I'm, I'm really looking forward to and perhaps deserves to get a, a shot uh, is a young player that United brought in in the summer called Hannibal Midgebury. And he's just fantastically technical, just um, great hair as well. Uh, but but the best thing about him is he's uh, technically awesome. I think he came from the Ajax Academy um, and it'd be nice to see him too. Brilliant. Um, and uh, he'd be interesting. Maybe he's a bit does, young. Maybe, he... maybe this is a step too far and, and Garner will play instead. But, does... um, you know, there's some good talent. Does he play there. central midfield then? Yeah. Oh, get him in the first team. <laughs> like the Premier League first team, I mean. All right, so that's the Colchester game. I guess we could have a prediction for that, but it's, I don't know, it's, it's just a ritual. The ritual of us predicting scores, this one particularly uh, irrelevant score prediction, but what are you going for, Ed? 3-0 uh, to United. All right, I'm going to go for uh, two all United win on penalties because uh, we are absolutely terrible in games like this and the idea that we're just going to walk it I mean I guess we battered Altmar didn't we so who knows it might happen but that first half against Altmar is perhaps a bit of a warning sign but Mason no do you know what 3-2 win Mason Greenwood winner that's what I'm going for because Mason Greenwood is the new Robin Van Persie in every way and if you want to hear more chat about 3-2 games which Robin Van Persie helped us to win um, you can uh, head to patreon.com slash rankcast and get involved because the bonus content this week we are going to set our final five for game of the decade we've got it down to a long list of 10 over the last couple of weeks and we're going to uh, we're going to set the final five this week then um, over Christmas we're going to take Christmas week off from covering games live but we're going to have a, a banked show where we uh, we go through the top five players goals and games of the decade uh, that's what we've been doing on on the patreon bonus content for the last few weeks is, is getting gearing up to to talk about them on the main show fantastic well uh, thank you very much everyone for listening and uh, hope you tune in next week lots of you are uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back on probably on Friday with a review of the Colchester game from Wednesday night and a preview In of depth, Watford. There'll be at least a two-hour show that one. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to finally live the Andreas Pereira uh, dream and look forward to a game against Watford. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you later in the week. All right, see you then. Thank you.